welcome to Talent Buzz, where I talk about talent acquisition with fast-growing SaaS companies. Today, I'm talking with CTO of Opsi Shopping, uh, Faisal Amin, and we are discussing how to build an offshore tech team. And let's start today's discussion on why Opsi Shopping decided to build an offshore tech team in the first place. That's a, that's a good one to start off with. Thanks for having me as well, first and foremost. Um, see, regarding Opsi, we need to go back into a little bit earlier context in the setting of how we started the company. Opsi uh, started as a bootstrap company. And back in 2020, I believe, or rather 2021, excuse me for that. It's already the turn of the year. Um, we, when we started Opsi, we were bootstrapping it. And along with that, when you're always trying to start a team from scratch, especially a dev team from scratch, you are always fighting with brand and PR, and of course, the talent pool in the local market. Now, one of the very first things that you're going into is you're going into a talent war with the existing incumbents and the other companies as well. Now, for me and for us, the choice was a little relatively, um, excuse me, a little uh, obvious. Do we go into that war of uh, the local talent hunt? Or do we make our lives a little more easier and find access to a larger talent pool? Thankfully, the world by that point in time uh, was much more open to remote teams. In fact, 100% remote teams. We did have such a policy and we did know, especially I did know, that we always have to be remote first. Keeping that in mind, I think the choice was uh, all things put together, you know, not wanting to fight the local talent market with zero branding, zero PR. Plus, you're also trying to, let's not forget, you're also trying to, you know, attract talent uh, in which you're trying to do the best by them. What I mean by that is uh, you want to provide the best value, the best perks. So as an example, a lot of the companies do provide and did provide around back in the days at least, uh, annual retreats, international retreats, yada, yada, so on and so forth. Uh, could Upsi have afforded that at that point in time? Perhaps, perhaps not. But keeping all of those factors into mind, I think the choice was pretty obvious that we rather want a larger talent pool of the good people to select from and not burn ourselves to the ground fighting the local talent war. So that's why we went uh, offshore. And uh, from day one, the strategy was to form a hybrid team, a few people in-house locally and a few people remotely as well. But with the one singular goal that if you are a good developer, no matter where in the world, you have a shot and a chance to work towards Upsi's mission and vision. Yeah. Super interesting, and I, I think good good reasoning behind that one as well. Um, maybe to start with kind of kind of where you started then, like how to find those people. I think, for example, for me, like for example, we are we are recruiting people kind of remotely as well. Like if people want to join us, but still at the current stage of time, uh, everyone of our team is is basically from Finland. 
And kind of, I know the market. I know where to look for those people. But how about kind of when going to new markets? Like, how did you approach that one? How did your kind of personal background help help on that one? Because I can imagine if, a, let's say, a CTO from Finland would be kind of like, hey, let's find a developer team from India or Bangladesh or where, wherever. Like, I don't know that market. Like, how should I be starting? So can you share a bit on, on that one? Yeah, um, I'd rather answer that in two folds yeah. because there's a personal angle to it as well in my own reasoning. Uh, the reason why I opted for developer, developers from Bangladesh is because, A, I've been working a little bit of personal background as well. So uh, I've been a developer myself as well, and I've been I've been managing teams, offshore teams particularly, from different parts of the world. So that is something, thankfully, that I had exposure to. And uh, that has given uh, me good muscle memory in trying to understand different people from different cultures and different backgrounds and different nationalities as well. Uh, when trying to form for UPSI, of course, given my background and given my prior experience in dealing with such teams, I did have a slight bias because I am of Bangladesh origin as well uh, to go towards Bangladeshi developers, A, because I did have good enough network over there. Plus, I did have a solid understanding of the market as well in terms of trying to find the right people, trying to find the right skill set. And then, uh, you know, thankfully, everything fell into place. When And I, this is something that I do talk to other uh, CTOs or other CEOs from Finland or from elsewhere as well. When you're trying to offshore, when you're trying to recruit people from offshore, there are a few aspects that I always point out. Because whenever you're trying to offshore, the primary three problems that everybody usually faces are first and foremost, trust. Am I trusting these individuals or even individual or an agency or a vendor partner? Second is transparency. And are they doing the right things? Are they building the right things? Are they working on our behalf as a team? So that there goes transparency. And then thirdly, are they good enough to be a decent culture fit for my organization? And all of these are ever so crucial whenever you're trying to form that very early team, plus even later on as well. So whenever you're trying to, my advice always would be is to find the right people or the right agency or the vendor. And once you have built or found that trust, I think the rest of the things pretty much fall in place. Yeah, that's a good good tip over over there. But what about the kind of pricing part of things? So for for sure, you you, you can get those those services or those employees kind of in a cheaper from from for example from Bangladesh. So what what is an average like if we have let's say two two different questions? So first, kind of if you hire someone from there, let's start with that one. So if you hire, let's say a a senior developer from Bangladesh. I, I think in Finnish market, of course, depending on the role, but we can maybe use like 5,000 euros a month as a kind of base salary for that kind of person, roughly. So what would you pay around the same expertise level in Bangladesh? All right. That's a, that's a very relative question. And it definitely depends individual to individual. What I have come across as well over the past few years Ever since the world started becoming more welcoming towards remote developers and 
talent pool becomes more accessible mm-hmm. and it goes both way in the market and talent are finding decent jobs 100% remote as well. The pricing has become ever so uh, flexible. And what I mean by that is there is no definite answer. I'm afraid that is the case. Uh, when you're looking for good quality, be that from Bangladesh, India, Vietnam, or Ukraine or Poland or anywhere else, you have to pay the price. Now, what I'd rather think from my perspective or my angle was um, to be thinking from the angle that I wanted team augmentation as a service. What that means is um, I want a team member who is almost an employee minus the HR bureaucracy. So, uh, when you're paying for something like that, to give a lump sum idea of a price bracket, I would think something along the lines of two and a half to three and a half. Of course, mm-hmm. that is very dependent upon which individual, what kind of expertise and experience they might have. But an average of something like that can definitely be budgeted for. Makes sense. And I, I think that gives a, a good enough ballpark for the listeners as well to get an understand like where where that one is what do you think like if we look at kind of the offshore tech teams and kind of agencies out there i've heard lately that a lot of ctos for example the nordics are getting tons of messages from agencies like that (laughs) so what's what's kind of going on there and can you really kind of if you're like now thinking hey i should start this one like can you just randomly pick one of those and kind of try it out or kind of how, how would you make the decision on kind of starting things off if you, if you wouldn't have those networks? I think the answer, like the very short and very easy answer is something that I've tried throughout my career as well, is make that network, ask mm-hmm. your fellow CTOs or CEOs who have tried this before. See, the agency yeah. business or the vendor partner business, first and foremost, as I pointed out a little while ago, is to be building or the forming that initial trust. And trust is something that is ever so easy if you do have a reference from somebody. Yeah. As an example, uh, I do get reached out a lot with regards to this. And uh, I do point out with the partners that I myself trust. So mm-hmm. that is an easy way to uh, you know formulate that. If you cannot do that, I think it becomes a little more tricky. Mm. Of course, you have to go with a little gut feeling, have a few plenty upfront meetings. But then again, uh, reference always helps. That's very true. And I think kind of building networks, it it really helps on on everything. And if, if I, for example, look about things that I've bought for our business, not, not software development, but other stuff. Yeah. Like I think everything has come through networks, you know, Hey, I need a lawyer. Like I asked from a few people who I know that can kind of help me with that one and connect with the right people. Or when we need a accountant for our business, like I asked from our advisor, like, hey, who did they use during scaling their service business? And I got a name, and I didn't even ask for offers from other other kind of accounting companies. So I, I think kind of the way people are buying is is really around that. That, one. Is, that is exactly true. It's like it is it is irrespective of what function we are buying for mm. is the very first thing is word of mouth and then transparency follows through as well 
you know, if, if five of my friends have tried out something similar and they've had a decent experience, if not a really good one, you know, keeping it in mind that, of course, even with reference, things cannot pan out 100% for your case as well. But then again, the chances of a failure or a really bad experience go down way low. And you want to minimize your, as a, as a decision maker, you want to minimize your potential risk factor. Because, yeah. because that is exactly what you're trying to offshore or outsource. Exactly. Exactly. But hey, then kind of regarding the kind of three things you mentioned there, so trust, transparency, culture fit. Can you share about this topic more? I, I can imagine that there there might have been some kind of challenges around <laughs> those ones, how, how the teams are working together. If you have kind of some people in-house, for example, in Helsinki, then those offshore teams, like are, are they really kind of part of the team? And like, do you feel like you have one tech team building the product or how does that go? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a loaded topic in terms of like three different aspects. But I'd rather take... Uh, a step back and look at the bird's eye view as well, mm-hmm. a little from the top. See, um, whenever trying to form a hybrid team in which some people are onshore, some are offshore as well, be that whatever function it may be, I think the core of it is what kind of a culture that you're trying to build within your company. And naturally, everything else sort of trickles through in terms of how you're functioning as a team, entirely on site or a hybrid one, whatever that may be, or even a 100% remote one as well. Uh, if you've got a few basic principles in mind, uh, such as, you know, you have to trust the people that you're bringing on board, be they 100% remote, or be they 100% even onshore as well. Once you have that in place, the second thing that you do is, as a leader, or as a team former, or whatever terminology you put across it, is to build that camaraderie. Now, that is a little harder said than done, because these are teams perhaps they haven't physically everybody met together in years as well. And such is the case for our case as well at Upsi uh, Technical Team. But uh, I think one of our biggest wins is when we feel we're successful enough as a team to be running after the same vision. So over-communicating and over-clarifying the vision and then trusting people to be bringing that those deliverables with giving them ownership of things. Mm. Another thing, what I feel is when you are going more towards uh, forming such sort of a hybrid team, you have to be respectful enough across different cultures, different time zones, mm. and uh, ways of working as well. What I mean by that, and I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that as well, uh, public holidays across different cultures and different countries or background, people of different background as well. We have to be respectful of that fact and we have to be, uh, and we do accommodate that as well. Mm. Always adds to the trust factor and the comfort factor as well in towards team building. Time zone differences, we have to be respectful of that as well. And we are respectful of that. By time zone difference, um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the key points that I'd point out is, as an example, in Bangladesh, the public holiday, or rather not the public holiday, the weekends are Fridays and Saturdays mm. versus in Finland, 
our weekends are Saturdays and Sundays. That is where you sit down as a team and you figure out how you're going to work that through. And by doing so, you're building more and more trust within the team. And once your team feels that they are being valued, each and every individual contributor is feeling that they're being valued and they're being part of a company and the same mission, I think everything else, uh, you know, eventually just like falls into place. Yeah. And I think like super good learning for me for there, what you mentioned, like regarding the team. So I actually think that like, well, of course, as CTO, those are things that you are responsible for and you need to handle those. But then I'd say like really bringing in team for kind of making those decisions, like being super open about the challenges that you are having and kind of solving them together rather than like you saying that, hey, okay, now we do like this because of the weekends, rather bring the team in and kind of letting them discuss and letting them kind of solve the problems as well. So I think that's super good stuff. And yeah. It's it's not a, you've always got to have a team perspective of it's not a one decision maker. Eventually, mm-hmm. there is somebody who's taking the ownership about the whole thing. And those are usually the CTOs, the CEOs, or other people. Mm. But if you treat your people as everybody's got a right in forming that culture, because this is what I'm a primary believer of. Culture is nothing else but you can, you can every company or every team can go on about in weeks and then you know write down elaborate culture values and like write everything down. But eventually what it trickles down to is what you actually do on a day-to-day basis. Mm. And once you bring everybody together, once you listen and make them feel equally part of decision-making across ways of working, and then follow that through in practice as well, I think uh, that is of tremendous value. What do you think? Like you you mentioned there regarding the vision and it's important the team is... Uh, kind of our team knows what the vision is like what, what do you think if i would go now and separately as from all of your tech team members like what what is your company vision like does all of them know the answer what do you think i would love to believe so that is something that we talk about if not on a weekly basis at least on a monthly basis as well mm. so our vision is to be helping small and medium-sized web shop owners to achieve their best yeah And that is something that is not only discussed within the tech team, but rather on the organization level as well. Yeah. And we've got monthly gatherings in which all of us are running behind the same thing. So I would love to believe yes would be the answer. Uh, And I'm surely hope that it is the case as well. I think that's a kind of super interesting topic. One test that I I did within within Talent B was that when we plan for uh, this year, 2023, uh, we decided like three focus points for our uh, business. In in our case, focus points were uh, employee experience, monthly recurring revenue, and building talent be brand. So like those three things are what we are kind of really focusing on this year. And we worked on those together, kind of build a uh, deck with nice looking slides and all that. And then, then we didn't talk about those in, I think, for a few weeks and then after Christmas holidays when we came back on the first uh, kind of Monday meeting that we had together I asked the team like do they remember those and uh, they did uh, it, it 
took some digging and for some things, for example, for the monthly recurring revenue, people couldn't remember that it was monthly recurring revenue, but only talking about revenue and so forth. But I think for executives, it's super easy to like, hey, I know our vision, I know our mission, I know our goals, I know our focus points, but really to make sure the team remembers those and you speak about those uh, as often as possible is, is super important. And that is even the case when you've got a hybrid team. Because I've noticed one thing that, uh, you know, one of the challenges, of course, of having a hybrid team is that you do not have those random coffee breaks. You do not have those, you know, uh, water cooler breaks as well, in which perhaps you're not discussing or rediscussing these similar topics, mission, mission, values, and other OKR-related materials as well on a regular basis. So the key to that is to over-communicate in every possible chance that you get in which it is an all-hands-on. And you start building a muscle memory as a result of doing that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Regarding the kind of, maybe this goes to the culture and transparency and all all that, but language. So Hmm. does your whole team speak English and like... Maybe, maybe that one first before going to my follow-up question on that one. Like, do you have a common language within the team? Yes, uh, I think that's an easy one. Uh, yeah, the company's official language and the default language is English. Yeah, one of the one of the primary examples is me myself. I do speak a lot of other languages, but then again, mm. uh, being part of a Finnish-based SaaS company, mm. I love to believe, and I know that it is an international SaaS company that we have uh, based out of Finland but the default language is English. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, I'm still no good at Finnish myself. Yeah. So uh, yes, everybody does speak Finnish and across different roles, uh, except perhaps with the exception of, no, I might be, I, let me backtrack from that. Everybody does speak English. Yeah. Yes. And it is a requirement as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was thinking like, could you ever imagine like hiring someone for the tech team that doesn't speak English. I, I think it, it would bring in a lot of kind of challenges on the transparency culture and, and so forth. But if they would be super good at what they do, let's say around coding, but they don't speak their common language, like what, what do you think? See, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. And I'll tell you why I think it wouldn't work. A, um, sorry, not A, um, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer that, uh, and especially coming from a coding background, if I'm just speaking within the tech corner of my company itself, uh, it wouldn't work because no matter what sort of a coding work you're doing, I feel it is at least 70% comms communication mm-hmm. and then 30% problem solving or coding. Yeah. So if you're failing at the bigger chunk you are not only creating confusion for your own sake, but also for the others in your team as well. And that is going to be the bigger hurdle and struggle, not only for yourself in terms of providing output, doing the right coding. And I'm not even talking about coding quality. No matter how good you are, you'll suffer. And uh, the reason why I don't think we or I might be might not be bringing those people in, no matter how awesome they are at coding, because I would be doing them a disservice yeah. by doing so. And uh, they wouldn't be able to achieve their full potential as a result. 
Exactly. And uh, it's, it's a disservice for the potential person joining Upsy mm. and also for Upsy's rest of the team members as well. I agree on that one. I agree on that one. But now, kind of when we think about them, kind of building an offshore team, it, it, it sounds quite good. So can, can we talk about the kind of bad things? Like what has been the kind of biggest challenges on your journey? Strictly speaking, in terms of offshore members or just generically? I, I would say generically because like, well, you are building a hybrid team. So uh, like, like what, what do you think? Like, is there some things that might have been easier if you wouldn't have that offshore team in place and you would basically all only have, for example, team in, in Helsinki, Finland? The only one that sticks out of my mind is that with all the fun that we have in Helsinki, mm. I really, really miss our offshore team members. Yeah. In those moments, be those, you know, pizza Fridays or taco Thursdays, um, we are not on a regular basis being able to share those with our offshore team members. That sticks out off the top of my head. Yeah. In terms of, uh, I wouldn't really call them a challenge, but it certainly hampers to a certain degree in terms of forming a team camaraderie. So, um, yeah, we miss out on that. And, uh, but we try to, you know, compensate for that in other ways for our offshore team members as well. Apart from that, I don't really see, given the upsides of why we went offshore and hybrid in the first place, mm -hmm. our challenges were way bigger. So we are thankful more than actually having challenges. Yeah. Um, what I mean by that is, um, the moment we decided, I clearly remember the moment we decided not to fight the local, uh, you know, talent place war. And when we went offshore, we found tremendously valuable team members that are still part of UPSI uh, till date. And, uh, you know, performing as good as any member can. So given the upsides, all the other challenges are rather relatively minor. Yeah. Why do you think then, like, if we look at, for example, Nordics, like, why still most of companies are not doing that? That's a, that's a multi-layered question. And I do have my own viewpoint around that. Uh, from what I've seen and experienced, at least around the Nordic markets, number one is what I feel is the initial hurdle of that trust and transparency. Mm. When we're going offshore do I feel that um, trust forming and Nordics, and let me not generalize this, but at least I can speak about Finland so far. What I've noticed is that um, by nature, it feels to be a little rather close-knit community as a whole. And that has all its uh, upsides, but the downsides of those are uh, that you're missing out on a lot of potential getting work done attitude. So, as an example, like I, I have a lot of, you know, acquaintances, friends who are CTOs and trying to augment their team with other developers. Um, we talk a lot about, uh, hey, we need good developers. I, we need developers, A. We need good developers. Then we need good developers who we can trust. And I'm not finding those candidates within my budget. It's like the obvious answer to that is go offshore. Mm. But try, try to expand your talent search pool. It's like, but where do I go to? I'm struggling already in Finland. 
or elsewhere. Why are you sticking in Finland? A, because of communication, I feel rather more close or confident if I can speak to somebody in Finnish. That is number one. Number two, I have that person or that person's agency based out of Finland. So God forbid something uh, were to not go right, I can always find them. Mm. And there goes the transparency angle of it as well. So that rounds me back to our conversation, which we were talking about like quite a few minutes ago, is that if you can go through somebody who's already tried and tested such a solution, you know, the network effect can actually eradicate those initial problems of trust and transparency. And then the search becomes ever so uh, easy, I would say, relatively easy. It's still not as easy as kind of like, you know, you want somebody, you're going to get them tomorrow. Perhaps, but the chances are you might find those good, trustworthy people within a week. So yeah, um, to round that about, um, what I'm going to say is, uh, I think Finland is starting to open up to the concept of, especially post-COVID, that yes, we can. And I think COVID, in all the bad things that it has done to us, at least out of the few good things that has happened, is starting to open up the mental barriers that yes, A, I can go abroad for my needs, for my tech, non-tech company needs. And uh, it's actually doable. It's actually feasible in terms of budget, in terms of security, in terms of trustworthiness and transparency as well. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you got a lot of good ideas about SaaS talent acquisition. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it on your social so others can hear it too. And if you have a topic in mind that you would like me to cover in this podcast, share it with me as well. I'm Samuel CEO and co-founder in Talently, where we help fast-growing SaaS companies in their talent acquisition. Make sure to follow us, make sure to follow this podcast and have an awesome week. Bye-bye.